this morning comes from Mark chapter 16, starting at verse 1 through to 8. When the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of James and Salome, bought spices so that they might go and anoint him. And very early on the first day of the week, when the sun had risen, they went out to the tomb. And they were saying to one another, Who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance of the tomb? And looking up, they saw that the stone had been rolled back. It was very large. And entering the tomb, they saw a young man sitting on the right side, dressed in a white robe, and they were alarmed. And he said to them, Do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He has risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. But go, tell his disciples and Peter that he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him, just as he told you. And they went out and fled from the tomb, for trembling and astonishment had seized them. And they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. Good morning, everyone. Christ is risen. Uh, it's wonderful to see uh, you all here. My name's Jared. I'm the pastor here at HWC, and it's wonderful to have you here with us. Please join me as we pray to begin. Father in heaven, we give you praise and thanksgiving. You are God most high. You rule over everything. Thank you for sending your only son, our Lord Jesus Christ, to come to this earth, to live a perfect life, to die in our place, and to rise powerfully, triumphantly from the grave. We thank you that we can celebrate that this morning. We thank you that you, Lord God, are present with us by your Holy Spirit. Lord, grant that I would speak faithfully to your word and that you would, uh, your words would, would come through strongly and that we would all be built up in our faith in Jesus. And for those who don't yet know you, that they would be uh, see the wonderful hope that you offer and come to faith in you too. And we pray this in Jesus' precious, almighty and powerful name. Amen. Well, it's wonderful to see you all here and um, great to, to be celebrating this morning. So this might sound a little strange, but bear with me. Death is an awful thing, isn't it? When we, when we lose a loved one, we feel something that's hard to describe. There's this longing to see them again, uh, a wrenching in our hearts. Uh, it can be difficult to find the words uh, to express how we, how we feel. And death feels so final, doesn't it? Uh, it? It appears so insurmountable like nothing can stop it. And in our thinking, uh, we can try and cope with this in different ways. Uh, some people say things like, death is just another part of life, or death is just natural. Or others just try to pretend like it doesn't exist, which often just makes it worse. And as loved ones of ours pass on, we know that we too are headed in that same direction. Ultimately, the way our world, and often us too, think about death is to either rationalize it or ignore it, uh, neither of which is particularly helpful. Death can't be rationalized. It's not natural. And death can't be ignored. And if you have ever lost a loved one, then you know what I'm talking about. No amount of rationalizing or ignoring the problem can defeat death. 
And no amount of wishful thinking can defeat death either. No, death still lurks in the darkness, taking each one of us one by one as the years go by. On Good Friday, we spent time, as we should every day, reflecting on Jesus' death. Jesus himself, the Son of God, was crucified on a cross, murdered by the mobs. And this morning, as we look into the account of what happened on the Sunday, we see hope. Hope that breaks the despair. Light that outshines the darkness. Love that conquers sin, death, and the devil. And all of this grounded in concrete reality, not wishful thinking. Today we see Jesus rise and death destroyed, bringing sure hope to all who believe in him. But to start with, we need to be reminded that Jesus really was dead, that there was no doubt that Jesus had died. A claim to resurrection makes no sense if the person in question never really died. So we begin by looking at the fact that there was no doubt Jesus died. And we're going to have a look at how Jesus' followers knew it, the Romans knew it, and the Jews knew it. Jesus' followers knew it. This morning's passage begins with Salome and the Marys, which is a good band name, by the way, who, who were followers of Jesus. And these women were mentioned throughout Mark's biography of Jesus. And in the account of Jesus' crucifixion, they're also specifically mentioned. On Friday, Jesus was crucified as a number of women, uh, including these three, looked on from a distance. Also on Friday, they watched as Jesus was buried in the tomb. They knew Jesus was dead. They'd watched him die. They'd seen his dead body buried in the tomb with their own eyes. So these three knew without a doubt that Jesus had died. They'd seen it. The Romans knew it. On Friday, Jesus was crucified under Pontius Pilate, the Roman governor of that time and place. Uh, you can read about that not only in the Bible, but in the writings of the first century Roman historian Tacitus. Uh, the Romans were experts in these humiliating executions, and they made sure that Jesus was dead. They even wrote it down in their own historical records. Uh, Pontius Pilate and the Roman centurion attested to the fact that Jesus was really dead in giving his body to be buried. They only gave Jesus' body to be buried after they'd made sure that he was really dead. The Romans knew without a doubt that Jesus had died. They'd made sure of it. The Jews knew it. The Jewish ruling council were the ones who had given Jesus the dodgy trial and condemned him to death in the first place. And we see their motivation come through throughout Mark's biography of Jesus. Jesus challenged their way of life. Jesus called not for a stifling religiosity, but genuine love and care and compassion. The Jewish rulers called for outward observances. Jesus called for people to turn and trust him as savior and king. The Jews had been planning to kill Jesus for a long time and they'd condemned him to death in that trial and they gave him over to the Romans to do the dirty work for them. They even made sure that the tomb was sealed with a massive stone and guarded with guards. Uh, Jewish writings outside the Bible, such as the Talmud, confirm that Jesus was indeed crucified. After Jesus' crucifixion, a man by the name of Joseph of Arimathea, who was a member of the Jewish ruling council, 
but who himself was opposed to Jesus' crucifixion, he, he asked for the body and buried Jesus. The Jews knew without a doubt that Jesus had died. Many of them condemned him. A Jew had even buried him, and the leaders called for the tomb to be sealed and guarded. So there was no doubt that Jesus died. Jesus' followers knew it, the Romans knew it, and the Jews knew it. And the claim of Easter Sunday is not that Jesus somehow cheated death, but that he came back to real bodily life. And that only makes sense if he really died. Uh, and, and we've just seen that Jesus really did die. Jesus' followers knew it, the Romans knew it, and the Jews knew it. They witnessed it and they documented it. You can read about it in the Bible. You can read about it in history outside of the Bible. So what do you do when a loved one dies? Well, once the Sabbath, that is the Saturday, was over, the women who followed Jesus began by buying spices that they might go and anoint him. That is to say, they were going to find Jesus' body that out of love and respect, they might put spices on him, uh, presumably to cover the odor of, of his dead body. They were expecting something like a funeral. Where there's a dead person you've come to pay your respects to. Uh, these women knew Jesus. They'd spent time with him. Uh, they'd spent time with him in Galilee. They'd followed him. They'd ministered to him and they'd come with him to Jerusalem. So their relationship with Jesus was strong. They had a deep relationship with him. And so it makes sense that they'd want to go and see him, see his body and anoint him in order to show him honor. So they're making their way to the tomb. But then it hits them. Who will roll away the massive stone from the entrance of the tomb? The one that the Jews had put there to, to make sure that he stayed in there. It was a very, very large stone. And they weren't going to be able to do it themselves. So they'd made this plan to anoint Jesus' body with spices. They're making their way there. But they don't know how they're going to get inside the tomb. Nevertheless, they continue on. They make their way to the tomb. And when they got there... They saw that the stone had been rolled back. Now, that would have come as a massive shock. Uh, so they weren't going to have to move the stone themselves. But would Jesus be there? Would he be there for them to anoint his body? So they get a big surprise inside the tomb. They enter the tomb and they see someone. They were expecting to see someone, but they see someone who they did not expect to see. The someone they see is not Jesus. It's a young man sitting on the right side, dressed in a white robe. And their response is to be alarmed. Aha! Shocked. They've entered into this place expecting to find Jesus dead and ready for them to anoint his body. But instead, they see a young man, very much alive, who isn't Jesus, sitting there, dressed in white. Uh, this young man's clothing is dazzling and there's something alarming about his presence. It's quite possible that he's an angel. Um, there are other accounts in the other Gospels that talk about angels being there at this time. And people are often terrified when they meet angels in the Bible. And if you think about it, who wouldn't be terrified in their situation? Uh, so I want you to imagine something for a, second, for a second. Imagine you're going to a closed casket funeral of someone you know is dead. But as you arrive, you see that the, the coffin is open. And so you walk up expecting to see their dead body. But instead of seeing them, you see someone else you don't know, very much alive, dressed in blazing white who tells you not to be scared. <laughs> I've never fainted before, <laughs> but I reckon that would do it for me. 
And what these women faced was even more terrifying. When we go to funerals, we usually didn't witness the death and the moving the body into the coffin with our own eyes. And the lids of coffins are far easier to, to open than moving massive stones. These women had watched Jesus die on the cross. Everyone had. They'd seen him be buried in this very tomb. They'd bought the spices to anoint his body. They'd wondered how they'd get inside the tomb. They'd seen the massive rock had been rolled away. And then they'd seen not Jesus lying there dead, but a young man alive, dressed in white, sitting, speaking to them. It's no wonder he instructs them, do not be alarmed. But why should they not be alarmed? That seems like a perfectly reasonable response, doesn't it? Jesus' body was gone and there's this young man sitting there. Aside from the all-out shock, they must have been wondering where Jesus was. Well, to see that and to see why they needn't be afraid, we have to look at the rest of what the young man says. After he tells them, do not be alarmed, he says these words. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He has risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. Jesus is alive. Christ is risen. Jesus had really died. As the young man had said, the women were looking for Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. Um, This isn't in the text, but I can imagine them sheepishly nodding at this point. Yeah, they're looking for Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. But Jesus was really alive again. Wow. He has risen. Jesus had come back to life. Not a ghost, not a memory, not living on in the hearts of his followers. Those claims are completely foreign to the eyewitness and contemporary accounts of the New Testament. No, Jesus had risen from the dead. That's why his body wasn't there. He was back with his body, really alive, not sort of living, but raised to real bodily life. Jesus had dealt death itself, the death blow. This is a far greater claim than any of those other ideas and has far greater implications. It's a far greater claim because it's to say that Jesus has unparalleled power over life and death. It's to say that Jesus rising is not about people fondly remembering him, but about him destroying death itself. It's to say that Jesus' victory is a real victory. And the implications of such things are enormous. If Jesus had stayed dead and merely lived on in people's memories, then death would have won. Death would have, been, death would have had the last laugh. Death would still be reigning. All of us doomed to die, never to escape. But since Jesus rose, death has lost. Death does not have the last laugh because Jesus has broken its power. Jesus is reigning. And there is hope for life beyond the grave for all who belong to Jesus because Jesus has paved the way. These are enormous claims, indeed. There's no denying that. But they're not something we need to turn off our brains to believe. God isn't asking us to have the kind of wishful thinking that we see in our world. I'm sure you've met people who uh, at some point uh, say things like their loved ones have gone to a better place and at other points say they never believed in such a place at all. 
No, no, God is not asking us to be inconsistent or, or just have some wishful thinking, but he's, he's asking us to believe based on concrete historical facts. We've already established that Jesus really died on a cross. There's evidence that the Romans who carried out his execution knew it. There's evidence that the Jews who called for his crucifixion and buried him knew it. And there's evidence that Jesus' own followers who saw it happen knew it. There's no doubt that Jesus died on a cross. But the concrete reality, it doesn't stop there. It's not only that Jesus died, but that he rose from the dead. And we see the evidence for this in a multitude of ways. But for now, we'll focus on three key pieces of evidence from Mark. The empty tomb, the women witnesses, and the prophecies fulfilled. The empty tomb. The young man told the women, he is not here. See the place where they laid him. You see, Jesus was not in the tomb, the tomb that they'd seen him be buried in. Jesus was somewhere else. Uh, these women expected to find Jesus' body in the tomb. Remember, they bought the spices, uh, the funeral sort of vibe. But no corpse was found. No dead body in the tomb and no dead body anywhere. If people knew that Jesus was still dead, they could have easily just produced his body and proven it. The Jews could have done it to discredit Jesus. The Romans could have done it to stop the annoying sect of Christians. But that never happened. Jesus' body was not in the tomb and was never found. In contrast, many people at different times and different places claimed to see him alive again. And so much so that they would non-violently tell others of their hope in Jesus, their resurrection hope in Jesus, even when that meant certain death for themselves. Furthermore, the Romans had strict laws against messing with tombs. If anyone had tried to steal Jesus' body, as some claimed, uh, they would be facing the death penalty themselves for no gain, for absolutely nothing. And there's no evidence for such a claim at all. There's no dead body. There's no witnesses of there being a dead body. There are plenty of witnesses of Jesus being alive. And there's no motive, opportunity, or means for anyone to mess with his tomb. All this to say, the reality that Jesus' tomb was empty, alongside the analysis of the surrounding facts, gives us concrete evidence that Jesus was no longer dead, but that he was really alive once more. That's the empty tomb. The second one, the women witnesses. Uh, the young man said to them, Go tell his disciples and Peter that he is going before you to Galilee. The Bible is unique among historical documents for many reasons, but one of those is its high view of women. The Old Testament, for example, right back at the beginning, affirms that women and men are both made in the image of God. There's a beautiful dignity in that truth. And it's a sad fact that for much of history, the testimony of women was viewed as inferior to that of men or to be rejected altogether. Uh, this kind of thinking was present uh, for Jews and Romans in the first century um, who denounced the testimony of women uh, alongside the testimony of minors, criminals, and I think crazy people. And it, but it, it did not, however, have roots in the Bible, but rather in human thinking. And it's helpful for us to know this, uh, to know this background information on how women were viewed to see just how radical what's happening here is how radical it is for the inclusion of women witnesses in the account of Jesus' resurrection. 
If anyone was fabricating an account in the first century, they definitely wouldn't have included women as, as the first witnesses. And yet here, we have women being the first witnesses of the empty tomb and being the ones to pass on the message of Jesus' resurrection to Peter and the disciples. Why would you say this if it wasn't true? There's no way anyone in the first century would have done. This is another piece of concrete evidence that gives weight to the validity that the claim that Jesus really rose from the dead. Finally, the prophecies fulfilled. There you will see him just as he told you. If you remember back at the beginning of this passage, Mark gave us two time markers to start us off. When the Sabbath was passed and very early on the first day of the week. And these two things tell us that it was the third day since Jesus' crucifixion. Day one was the Friday. Day two was Saturday the Sabbath. Day three, Sunday, the first day of the week. Jesus had told his followers that he would be killed and rise again on the third day. And that he would see them in Galilee. So now this was the third day since the crucifixion. Uh, Sunday, the first day of the week is this day. And so this was the day that Jesus said that he would rise again. And this resurrection was prophesied not only by Jesus in the New Testament, but by the prophets in the Old Testament, including Isaiah. In Isaiah chapter 53, 700 years before Jesus walked the earth. And that wasn't the only prophecy either. Jesus fulfilled them all. And it's absolutely remarkable when you look into the specificity of those promises and how he fulfills them. If you're sitting there wondering about the authenticity of these prophecies, thinking, well, maybe they were just made up by Christians after the fact. Well, we have scrolls that scholars agree predate Jesus walking the earth by more than 100 years. These prophecies weren't made up by Christians trying to validate Jesus' claim to be Messiah. They predated Jesus walking the earth. And then Jesus applied them to himself before the events transpired. Jesus' death was just as he told them. And so too his resurrection. Jesus had, as he'd promised, taken his life up again. Come back to real bodily life. And these women would see Jesus, uh, which is documented elsewhere in the Bible. And they would, and that would, he would be, that would be just as he told them. They'd see their crucified Savior, now as risen Lord. It's not some random fluke of history that one person in all history rose to life again. No, it's the plan and purpose of God that was promised ahead of time, revealed to humanity, and fulfilled in history. Jesus told people he would rise again, and then he did it. He really has power over life and death in the ultimate sense. And he really is the person, the one worth listening to. We've seen the empty tomb. We've seen the women witnesses. We've seen the prophecies fulfilled. But what happens next? Fleeing in fear. Have a look with me at verse 8. And they went out and fled from the tomb. For trembling and astonishment had seized them, and they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. We've heard that Jesus has risen. We know that the women had heard this too. We know that they are terrified. That means they're trembling. They're quaking with fear. 
We also know that they're amazed. They're astonished at the news that they've just heard. We also know that there they said nothing to anyone. But we're left wondering, are they going to tell the disciples? Uh, while we know that the answer to this question is ultimately yes, um, we read here uh, about what happened to them. So they must have told someone who then wrote it down. It's my understanding that Mark wants us to experience that moment that these women experienced and to really think about our own response to Jesus. Are we going to live in paralyzing fear of our world and of death? Or are we going to put our faith in Jesus who has conquered death? We all know that death isn't the way things are supposed to be. Uh, when God made the world and it was very good, death wasn't there to begin with. Death isn't natural, just another part of life. What we experience when we lose a loved one is not what God designed us for. Ever since Adam and Eve turned their backs on God, death entered the world. And the default setting for us too is to have our backs turned on God. And what happens when we turn our backs on the giver of life? We're under the just sentence of death in hell. Without a savior, we'd find ourselves without hope, knowing that death isn't the way things are supposed to be, but not knowing how to be set free from it and not knowing how to respond to it. The idea that death will somehow rule forever, we know instinctively in our hearts to be wrong. But in order for that to be the case, we can't ignore the problem we can't rationalize it. We can't just fill our hearts and our minds with wishful thinking and denial. No, we need someone to break death's power. We need something concrete. We need someone to die the death we deserved for turning our backs on God. And we need someone to destroy death itself by rising again to real life. We need someone to kick down death's door and open the only way that life may come. And that's exactly what Jesus, the Son of God, has done. By rising again. Jesus dealt death itself the death blow. Jesus passed through death and came back to life. Really dying and then being really alive again. Breaking death's power and guaranteeing us who believe in him resurrection life like his. And this certain hope of resurrection life is on offer to us now. Receive the most amazing gift you will ever be offered. We'll either find ourselves terrified of death or maybe ignoring it, denying it, rationalizing it, trying to have wishful thoughts about it, or we'll have reverent faith in the one who has defeated death. Trust in Jesus today and receive the guarantee of life forever with him. You can do that right now by admitting that we've turned our backs on God and turning to Jesus, trusting that he died the death we deserve and he has risen from the grave, uh, guaranteeing us that for all who believe in him, we too will rise. If you'd like to do that after the service, it'd be my joy to walk you through that. And if you know that hope, if you know that hope of resurrection life in Jesus, be like the women who shared it. Our world is desperate for it. And center your life on that hope. There's nothing better that you could do with your life 
than to make it all about the Lord Jesus Christ and the hope that is only found in him. So please do come and speak with me afterwards if you would like to uh, give your life to Jesus, if you want to recommit your life to Jesus, or even if you just would like to find out more about Jesus who offers life, eternal life, that truly has defeated death because Jesus himself has defeated death. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you that you defeated death, that you died the death that we deserved, and that you rose powerfully from the grave, triumphant over sin, death, and the devil. And we thank you that you rule and you reign, and we need not fear anyone or anything. We need not fear death itself, because you, Lord Jesus, have dealt it the death blow. And so we come with only fear of the Lord, reverent faith in you, and we trust you, and we ask you to be merciful to us. And we eagerly await your return, Jesus, when we will get to be raised with you and rejoicing with you how you have designed us for. And we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.